When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Boyce of Reason podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Desi Ray, who runs a YouTube channel called Thinking Out Loud, or just Thinking Out Loud, or Desiree Thinking, that's her Twitter handle. She does those kind of videos where she takes a topic that she's interested in, and then she proceeds to reason her way through things. And so I have her on my channel to reason her way through things. I just kind of throw questions at her, and I kind of get to watch her make sense of what's going on. We talk a lot about the Black Lives Matter movement, her position, uh, and her thoughts on that. Uh, and we also talk about the ways in which revolutionary behavior and uh, the theories behind revolutionary behavior might not match up to her uh, values and her views on how society should function and how society should become better than it already is. She's a wonderful thinker to bask in the presence then. So I'm going to get out of the way and allow us to proceed into a conversation with Desiree. I think in a certain respect, uh, the lockdown has worked insofar as it has worked because we were already acculturated to online living to a certain degree. I think that's uh, kind of mediated some of the uh, desperation, perhaps just taking the edge off in a way or given us some amount of uh, wiggle room to maintain uh, social connection. But I think one reading of the, you know, the, the riots that have been happening, the protests, let's say, that turned into riots, but let's just say that the mass movement under the aegis of Black Lives Matter, I think a, a, portion, a strong portion of that was just people need to be social. People need to get out into the streets and oh, meet yeah. up. And that was one way where they could be valid in doing that. What, what's your take yeah. on uh, what's your take on like the unrest that has been rolling across the uh, country? I definitely agree with what you just said. I think that the situation right after, like around March, when everyone was like, oh, people are dying. Um, when people went home, started to become unemployed. I think that it was a perfect concoction of uh, like the perfect situation to create social unrest. And uh, part of me thinks it could have been a bit strategic I don't know. It's it's hard to really tell in hindsight whether or not politicians were just like reacting based off of what they how dangerous they thought COVID um, COVID nineteen was. Um, I always said like use the word China, but I was like, did nah, you? That's not my style. Okay. <laughs> you thought of it though. <laughs> I did, I did, because, like, I was one of those people who, like, I started quarantining myself really early. Like, I, I, so, you know, in my head, it's from China. Like, that's where it came from, like, the place, but, like, the whole, the PC part of it. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if politicians were just reacting or they were thinking, oh, this like, screw Trump and, like, blame everything on him after in terms of not the deaths, but the... Uh, making a situation where people were at home and as you said, not really socializing. 
and then with the, the media frenzy, uh, with, well, first of all, just with COVID-19, that was the most horrible thing at first. Like, that's how the media was treating it. And then it shifted to, like, the George Floyd, that kind of matter stuff. But it's really important to remember, like, the media makes every single thing that is going on sound like the worst possible thing ever to ever happen, ever, ever, at okay. that po- moment in time. And that's, what, that's how they were treating COVID-19 at first, before the Black Lives Matter thing came. Um, so, yeah, I just, I'm just agreeing with what you said, that I think, for people being stuck at home, not going to school anymore, not going to work, that definitely created the an environment right for people then wanting to go out into the streets and have derived meaning in their mm. life. Yeah. What was your reaction when that first started happening? What was like uh, kind of the yeah. way you were making sense of it? Um. Well, when the George Floyd story first broke out, I remember tweeting, people are crazy when they're acting in groups and very emotional. So I, I, there, the, the energy shifted. Like there, like there was like a shift in like energy online in like the cultural commentary once the, the George Floyd thing happened. So I just remember thinking, oh no. Mm. I didn't I didn't realize how far it would go, but I, I, I mean, it affected me too. Like, I think everyone who saw the initial video before, like, getting all the context, like with George Floyd and the police and the guy on police on his neck, um, it triggers something in you. And then, like, when it's done, you know, within the context of the U.S. narrative about police yeah. brutality and black men, which I, I don't agree with, but we know that that's there. I saw that, and I was like, oh, People are going to go insane. And then they did, even a bit more than I thought. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you uh, feel like you could be an influence on that? Uh, or, like, to make sense of it for people? Do you think that there's a possibility of restraining that? Or was it just tinder in the silo kind of thing? It was just like, this is going to erupt and there's no stopping it. Uh did you feel like compelled to even try to slow things down or tamper things? Um, yes, I would say I did. However, I in a, in my small circle, like I didn't yeah. think I had like a like I was a I I don't think I am, but I do a heavyweight, you know, in cultural commentary. But I do think I have some influence, and so. Um, yeah, I, I I think I do generally try to you know, tell people to be more rational or what my favorite thing really to say is that this is really complex. This is a complex situation because I, mm. I feel like people simplify things way too much. Um, so yes, but not to a high degree Yeah. in terms of influencing yeah. people. Yeah. I, I just wonder if, um, cause I was, I was really, uh, kind of triggered uh not by the i understood the video and the context of the video would be shifting and i understood there would be a reaction but when the reaction hit and you see all this behavior happening in the streets um some very in 
interesting, very strange behavior, but it brought me back to where I started, which was at the Evergreen State College, and it was the same exact thing. It was the same language, the same uh, emotional uh, urgency going on. So I was really triggered myself. I'm like, oh, no, it's happening. It's happening all over the world yeah, now. Yeah. Like, the entire world is, is turning into that. And uh, yeah. so I kind of had, uh, I was just, I felt like it was time to, like, figure out how to be a how to put my voice out there in the right way to give mm. people some sort of tools to actually understand that this is going to be used by interests. Like in my evergreen story, the the college students, they acted out, but it was the administration that got their way. It was the administration that came in, implemented all this uh, training and then all these rules on speech and then just reorganized the institution around the nominally, uh, you know, the nominal moral urgency of the students. And I know and that's what I see. That's what I'm actually worried about isn't the protest. It's that all the people that are going to take advantage of the protest to implement their trainings, their their version of reality and stuff. Um, what what's what do you think is like watching it? What are the big things that stand out for you, or the big issues that you find most interesting about the phenomena of of the protests uh, over the last uh, three months or four months? Um, what aspect? How illogical it all is, and <laughs> you know, I was thinking that what you were just saying about higher like interest using people's emotional response in order to uh, implement changes that they want to see. Um, I, I definitely foresee that also. And, you know, we're kind of already seeing that. Um, but I would, I would say that's the biggest thing. I had a tweet recently, I don't know if you saw, about the 99.99% of people, of police interactions end okay. And I, I kind of had had that idea in my head already, but it was the first time I like, you know, like put those numbers in, and I was actually kind of sad. Like I was, hmm. I, I, I genuinely felt sad when I realized how, you know, I, I'm not saying all police are good or anything, but how starkly different that is from the emotional frenzy that the media sort of whips up. Like there are. You know, and I'm not saying there couldn't be, I mean, it's possible that there are pockets in the U.S. where some people might be being targeted. I don't know. I'm just trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, as an average person, no matter your skin color, like being in the U.S., you are not going to die. <laughs> like when you maybe step out your door. there's going to be some ab- abuse of power or something. Um, even that probably not as much as you know people say it is because a lot of times people don't get called on. Like I was even looking at the, those stats and how many of those police interactions are occur because someone called the police. It's not like the police just showed up. I think it was like mm-hmm. about half or something. So like they're doing their jobs for like all their citizens. They're like protecting 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 citizens from each other and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the whole narrative is untrue in terms of people needing to fear the police. And if you look at the specific incident with George Floyd, I'm not even sure that the entire culture should be commenting on it um, when they don't understand what it's like to be a police, what it's like to be like dealing with a violent 
possibly violent criminal. Like, like it, it's it's coming from a, a place of naivety almost. Even though you could all also say it's goodwill, you know, to want to like make sure someone isn't being treated badly. And I, I think most people can get behind that. But like after I after the George Floyd incident came out, you have all these details come out about how you, he was like on drugs. And then I actually watched the video and you saw how much he was kind of like resisting. Like I didn't want to go in the car at first. But then you at the same time, like they they, they had the guy had his uh, knee on his neck for nine minutes for a really long time. So that also mm-hmm. seemed unnecessary. Yet the the way the story was presented in the first place was very far from like what actually happened. So I would say that that is the biggest thing to me is just how illogical people are. So there, I guess there are two things I mentioned to summarize. First of all, just like using one incident, um, one example being George Floyd, even though the like the Jacob Blake, the other stuff came out afterwards, other stories came out afterwards. And then trying to generalize that to like all police, police interactions in general with the public or with black men in particular. Like that's just, it's not true. <laughs> and then also in terms of just telling off the actual incident, like they leave out a lot of details or people don't wait to find out the details. So there, there, there are two levels of like, it's just like people's emotions are much more important than like what actually happens, happened, what actually is happening. And I find that, I found that very sad. <laughs> like, because mm. we're, we're, that means we're not as a society um, at understanding how emotional we are. And then, yeah. you know, kind of like reeling that in in order to be reasonable not unemotional, not cold, not uncaring about people's yeah. lives, but like you have to, there has to be reason. <laughs> like it, it seems to not be there. And that's like very perturbing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a conditioned response. Again, going back to my studies and college unrest and watching different if, if you look at whenever there's a protest at a college, it comes down to an event. Like there was one little thing that sparked it. Uh, swastika, a poop on a wall, or somebody draws the wrong word, the N-word on a toilet somewhere. There's this little tiny event that does not, uh, it doesn't necessarily tie to the reaction to that event. It really does seem like there's a conditioning to be activists, or there's, a, there's kind of an expectation that this is the proper response. It doesn't matter. They're not. And they even say this once you listen to enough footage of the protests and stuff. It's like, yeah, they're using that one little incident. But what they're really fighting against is 400 years of oppression or 100 years of oppression. Right They're They're really out there trying to change history. Like, so I think that yeah, somehow that becomes their context. I agree with what you're saying. And I, my yeah, but it's not for you, but for like what you're saying, they're they're believing like we're not in 400 years of oppression like that's not that is not happening it is not happening no matter how like unfair some things may be or personal prejudices people may have like people in the united states are not being oppressed or black people have not been being oppressed for 400 years i i do not believe that is true um i also don't think only black people have been oppressed and like I, I, I hate the inherent, in my opinion, selfishness of a lot of the like black narratives because it's like always just focused on this one group, and like it's okay. I think for like one group to you know focus on their own history, but when you have, I always say this like at a at a national level, like a country does not just exist for one group of people. 
Like I, yeah. I think you have to, you know, consider everyone. And yeah. Um, I also wanted to sort of respond to something you said in terms of people being conditioned. People cannot think for themselves. So I'm talking to people and they're starting to pick up on, you know, this Black Lives Matter stuff. And it's like, you're just hearing people para activist thoughts that have been put out into the mm. thought sphere. I don't know. Yeah. So it's like, if you just keep hearing the same ideology sort of propagated itself over time, people are not thinking for themselves. They're kind of just like copying this like meme, like this yeah. like activist meme, you know, and like the, the incident that happened that roused up a whole bunch of emotions um, is used to say, oh, this is something I should pay attention to. And I, I guess it like activates the need to, well, a couple things. I think there's a genuine need to um, eliminate what is perceived as like wrongdoing in the moment. And then there's also the need to feel, um, maybe they're the same need together. There's a need to feel as if you are doing that, like you are good. Yeah. Um, so like the emotional incident is used to activate those feelings but then those feelings aren't attached to your own reasoning about like what happened. Like you don't go and like think about the details and like, you know, understand that, you know, like if you're in a highly emotional state, maybe you're not, you're not reasoning properly, like understanding that bias. And so instead you attach that emotion to, to whatever someone comes in this case, black as matter hands to you. They're like, Oh, you feel these things when you see this horrible thing happen, even though you don't fully understand the situation. Here's what's happening. This is what you should do about it. Like, that's not thinking for yourself. So I, I think people are being, you know, manipulated. Okay. This is, I'm going to push against that. Because how do you know that you're not just regurgitating rational thought? How do you know that you're thinking for yourself? Like, what is, what's the positive content of thinking for yourself? How do you know when you're doing that work? I say that I know when I'm doing that work because I, I take the time to dig into the arguments. So if someone says, ah, hmm. I mean, I, just this thing I just looked up the other day, the, the same tweet I mentioned, I went <laughs> and I, I mean, I did it at the, the first time I heard about Black Lives Matter, I did that. I, I went to their website, I read their thing, I thought about it. Um, and then like recently I went and I looked at the statistics and I, I thought about it because people make a claim. Um, I, one claim is the black people have been oppressed for 400 years. Um, black men are being hunted by police. People aren't safe. Uh, another example would be like police need to be defunded or so mm. if, when, when someone makes a claim, I'm saying that people don't look into that claim. And I'm saying that I, when in my thinking for myself, look into that claim and decide okay. like i evaluate the claim do i think it's true or not what these people are saying okay but that's what i that's what i would call thinking for myself <laughs> so one one step then is to encase whatever is presented 
to you with doubt. You're like, I'm going to doubt this. I'm going to I'm going to test this somehow. I'm going to go and I'm going to look at right. the claim, see if there's anything tied to that claim. And then right. I can with that particular claim. But when you're constructing an argument against, let's say, an ideology that's created from your perception, you see a lot of people not thinking they're regurgitating these different lines. How do you engage with somebody who has a, a tapestry of claims? Like, where do you, where do you go from there? You know, I, I am not sure because I'm in the middle of this like super long conversation with someone that I've known for a long time. Hmm. And we like, we just have different worldviews. And I'm like, so this person like sent some videos to me on like white privilege. And I actually sat and I watched it and I like responded to every single point. And my point of view did not change and i don't think they've actually gone through all the things that i've sent them so maybe that's they haven't done that but i do think it's possible that even that even if they were to they would just come back with like every a response that's like from their view of the world now yeah. some of those things i think i've seen this happen i don't think i do it but it's possibly possible that i do it is where like i will make a response at that from based off of a claim that they made um, say for example, this person <laughs> said that, uh, th this isn't the exact words, but they were basically making the argument that, uh, like statistics and the math that's used to debunk, um, theories of say like systematic racism are only tools of like white supremacy. <laughs> oh, so it's like, yeah. they're basically calling like what, like logic, you know? tools of white supremacy and like and like only proposed by um white people and so i was like that's discrediting a lot of non-white people who you like are also like use this thing that doesn't belong that being logic and like reason and science that does not belong to white people and they kind of just like didn't respond to that so that's what mm. i'm saying maybe i do that but i do see people have evidence put in their faces or like i guess a logical response and then they just like ignore it <laughs> yeah um so i guess well, i'm trying to respond to the original question if someone is in a frame of mind and i'm saying how do you respond to that because they already have their set of claims i'm saying yeah. that i'm not quite sure if it's possible because like when you're locked into an ideology sometimes the evidence can be put in front of your face and you just don't respond to it so I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay, well, let's reframe it this way then. Why, at what point did you decide that logic, reason, doubt, skepticism was the correct way to interact with knowledge? Like, what, where does that come from? Why, do you, why is that your value? Uh, I guess that's from my schooling, if I think okay. about it. It's like way before coming to the U.S. or anything. Like, I did science. <laughs> you know like so it's why why did you pay attention to science why do you think that that attracted to you uh in school because you could go through school and not pick that up too like why did you yeah but that's, yeah, but that's even that? that's even before like college level or something or even high school like you learn about logic and you know hmm. like you can I don't know. Like the, the thing that comes to my mind is that my brother had these like flashcard thingies 
that were talk that talked about space, and I used to read them all the time. Like, oh, okay. that's the first like some of the first instances of science in my head. Um, huh. they used to talk about how like the stars form. Like, I don't like what I can't remember learning about like what a, what a red dwarf uh, was, like the stars, and that's those are some of my first memories of anything scientific. So that's why that's coming into my head. Yeah. Um, that, that really that I don't know when was the first, the yeah. first, first, you know. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. I just no, okay. I want I want to understand the psychology of uh, of people who are rational. I think that that's important because I think that it, that when we are interacting with people in a different frame of mind, they just have a different. It could be that they kind of have a different psychology, or they did have different experiences, or they just put things together kind of differently. But I do like the uh, you just evoking the image in my head of you as a little girl, like interacting with the stars. It's like that was your creation myth. Like this is how the world is. <laughs> Is built like there's right. these gases and they come together and there's well these not exactly because I, I also grew up in a in a Christian family and like Jamaica mm. is where I'm from like it's super religious so like I also had that and I, I actually was like pretty religious when I was younger um, mm. like I used to read the Bible and like I cared about morality I wanted to be good um, so and those things didn't contradict in my head they actually don't still really even though I'm not religious I wouldn't call myself yeah. religious anymore um so, uh, and that's it, magical thinking. <laughs> like, religion is magical thinking, I think. Because yeah. I, I don't, I can't see a God or whatever anywhere. So, okay. But your wow, belief in the good is, is a place that could be very similar to somebody who is, let's say, and I don't mean this derogatorily, just to understand what we're talking about. Somebody who's heavily into social justice is really guided or compelled by the desire to be good, to do good, and to cause the world to become good. And we can question their methods, but I think that you, like you just said right now, that you really wanted to be good. Maybe you gave that up with religion. No, I didn't give that up. No, okay, so I still, still want to be I still good. Have, I still feel that way. But I, I was about to say, like, as it comes to what you just said, I think if you really, really want to be good and do good, you go a bit further. Like, I, I think that you, you don't just, you're like, okay, if we really care about black lives, what about, like, statistics with the, the fatherless, fatherless, Fatherless messed up. Like I, yeah. I think that's way more important than any other thing. And like, this is not unique to black people, but just because you know they focus, they mean society focus on black lives in general. Or if you're worried about people dying, what about all the people who die from criminals because police are afraid to police because of what you know social social justice activists do. So I don't know. I am I am skeptical of people. It's like a surface level wanting to be good because I think okay. if you just look a bit further at the actual effects of the things that you are proposing, then you would change your mind. And this is a, a separate topic, but I used to be more like into the environment. Like I remember I watched this movie called Home or something when I was in my first year in college and I was like kind of traumatized about how like the earth was being treated like horribly and I remember like yeah. telling my roommate about it and she was like kind of looking at looking at me like she didn't really agree with me but I was like super into this documentary about how the earth is dying and we need to fix it yeah. and I think about uh, my my transition like I'm not like that <laughs> anymore like I hmm. still care about the earth like I, I still think people should be better to the environment I think like the way people treat the environment is kind of a reflection of themselves but 
I don't think that I need to mandate. I no longer think that like we need to mandate. I don't know that companies stop producing X, Y, and Z because everything is gonna. If we don't do it, the earth is gonna. We're gonna die soon. Humanity won't survive. And I think part of the reason, two two reasons I can think of for that, is because even though I still have that desire, I think like I still want people to be good to the environment. I recognize that um, <clears throat> people's emotions, in this case, we're not talking about the Black Lives Matter stuff anymore, but the environment, about wanting to care, are used by others, like, say, politicians, um, to implement certain policies that might not have the effect that people want. I think a classic example I, I kind of learned about this recently is, like, what's happening in uh, California. Um, in terms of blackouts and stuff, and people pushing for alternative forms of energy um, to the point where, like, the system doesn't need, even need to be, like, functioning well anymore because of the new changes that they've put into place. I don't know if... I don't think I'm the best person to explain this, but from what I understand, um, like, there are different energy sources, and people want renewable sources. Um, so they turn off the more traditional ones and try to rely on renewable sources, but those aren't... Um, cons consistent so they have to bring in power from other states and then sometimes mm. that doesn't work out and so you get blackouts and so the, the point I'm making is that because people push so much for uh, certain environmental changes policies because mm. they care so much about the environment um, then they ignore the other effects like if you're having to bring in power from states that are still using these energy sources that you don't like, then what was the point in even doing that? So it's like, it's like you, the people's motivations are more important than like what actually uh, happens. Hmm. Um, that was one thing. And then the other thing was, I also just don't, don't like telling people what to do. Cause I, I realized how that can go awry very quickly. Yeah. I, you, I think I got my Yeah, no, I think, I think, where you're heading us is that you kind of have a, like a libertarian kind of uh, outlook then at this point in time. Yeah, but it's not just libertarian. But it's also like practicality because okay. like what are the actual effects yeah. of what you're trying to do in, in when you say you're being good? So, yeah, yeah. I, I would say there's a libertarian thing, too. Uh, but I, I don't I don't know if people truly care. I think they kind of want to care and then they stop there. Because I think I really think if you look a bit further, you wouldn't you wouldn't continue thinking what you what you think. Maybe they that just is... don't know. Like, um, maybe they just like don't know to go look up stats or something, or like look up <laughs> look up research. Like that's possible too. But I think if it's something so important, like if you if it's something you so much care about, then. I think you would put a bit more effort. I I really I kind of think that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, there, there's that. Um, there's a kind of like a cul-de-sac people get in, get stuck in because they feel they get so overwhelmed by the desire to be right or the same thing, just inverted, that these other people are bad, that they get locked into this frame of mind where they can't even go beyond the service. They can't think of a Trump supporter as anything other than a Nazi. Right. They, they just they're they're arrested in their ability to even go any further because they're existing on this emotional uh, kind of treadmill almost, it seems like. Uh, do, do you get stuck in those uh, 
or have you uh, like earlier in life uh, like got stuck in like a caring circuit where yeah I, well I would say the what I just described in terms of me with my friend and watching that that show could could be an example of that because I was just like yeah. so caught up in like we're hurting the earth and stuff yeah. like that um so I would, and what I would gradually say, yeah. got you to to move your position on that like what were the kind of the the ways learning, that you learning, learning. more which is what hmm. I'm saying. <laughs> like, I think yeah. people don't do. Like, okay. learning more. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really I really think so. What do you think is the trick to get people to uh, move away from being certain that they're right to being curious about how they're wrong or, or how to be right, more right? Um, um, I guess this kind of philosophy of education stuff, but... No, it's great. I can only kind of go off of me and like, like how I understand myself psychologically. And I would say that I'm, I've still, I've been slowly becoming less of a perfectionist. Hmm. And I think that's because I have less of a need to like be perfect in like my thinking. And I, I think that has to do with um, how you're taught to view, I don't know, like yourself. Uh, like maybe when you're growing up, because if you have to uh, perform at certain standards, mm-hmm. then um, it's like you can't, you can't give any leeway. And I, I I know this is like sounds very personal, but I think it's somehow related to um, people's inability to like be let themselves be wrong. Because if you have to be right all the time, maybe in order to impress other people. Uh, for example, then your brain can't like let go enough to say I'm safe, even if like I'm safe enough to like you don't actually. But I think like this is like the thoughts people would have yeah. look stupid or um, not another. I want a moral version of that, like uh, be seen as like socially bad. Yeah. Um, so they, they have to be like comfortable with that within themselves in order to, you know, think, oh, I, I might be wrong and it's okay. <laughs> or someone else might be wrong and it's okay versus someone else is wrong. They're the devil. Let's get rid of them. You know, like, let's, like, fix their mind into, like, what it needs to be instead of, like, having a dialogue. So I think yeah. that, like, rigidity, like, comes from, like, more, like, personal stuff, something like that. I think you're I think you're onto something because there are elements within what I'm going to call woke dogma or the woke ideology that state that if you're not on the side of if you're not on the side of fighting against oppression if you're not actively in every moment fighting against oppression you are complicit in oppression it sets up this state the psychological state within its adherence that you have to be constantly agreeing you have to constantly be going the, in the direction that causes people to not be able to question because to question is to possibly be a part of the evil system right so they're they're uh, yeah. they're precipitating the conditions of a bunch of thoughtless behavior with a couple of people up up front or i, I it, maybe it's just guided by memes in the end maybe it doesn't even need a leader because it's stripped down uh to such an extent yeah i i definitely think that these movements you know tap into what you recall this like 
thoughtless caring almost. I think that's a good way to put it. It's like thoughtless hmm. caring. It's like all the like caring and wanting to like, you know, make people not suffer and not hurt, but like yeah. with no thought behind, well, no um, comprehensive thought behind it. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, there's like, people do give you like reasons for why you should, you know, support, say, Black Lives Matter, for example, or critical race, whatever. But then you don't go a bit further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what is uh what are some of the things that you really want to tackle uh in your next season of content creation? What are some oh, of the things that Yeah. Uh well, I'm still doing um uh this Gulag Archipelago series I've been working on. Oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. I was just saying that. The Gulag Archipelago in Russia, so like communist Russia from 1970 to 1956. And I'm like a third of the way through, so I still have two thirds of the way to go. And it's very long, but I'm, I'm still doing that. And I'm still what, like, what are you I, learning from that book? What are some of the lessons that you're deriving from it? Um, some of the lessons are how much um, resentment uh, is responsible mm. for people wanting to take away other people's property or um, just like Marxist, Marxist ideology. Um, another thing is how that very famous line, but it's really true that good and evil is in the heart of every man like, uh, or woman. So I, I think that that's true. A lot of people um, can be complicit in a system that's harming others in their society and it like it seems to be like the average person can get caught up in it. Um, another hmm. thing is how much uh, what's happening currently parallels, you know, what happened in, say, Russia and from what I understand, other Marxist uh, revolutions. And also how this is just the beginning. <laughs> like what's kind of happening now, like with the U.S., um it's just the beginning and also an example of like where things can go because it seems like it's just like these horrible thoughts about one group in society being privileged and so you need to yeah take away from them um i I think that's the same kind of idea that we're seeing with you know like say uh those Bias sensitivity training, yeah. training that they're doing in terms of like, calling all white people bad, etc. It's the same thing that happened, for example, in Russia, but except it was the, the bourgeoisie and the, the people with property. Um, like there are a lot of parallels. Another one is the one thing that was really interesting was so there are the kulaks who are the are uh, uh, those the property owners, right? And then there are the the peasants the farmers, and yeah. these revolutions claim to this revolution the. Marxist revolution in Russia by the Bolsheviks. It claimed to be for the peasants, but then sometimes when the peasants were like, we're not into this, like we're gonna actually like fight with the supposed kulaks who are oppressing us, then they they basically told that they didn't know what they were thinking, like they couldn't think for themselves, the the people in charge. So hmm. it's like they, they said that they were oppressing themselves or like joining with the oppressors and they were like self hating and stuff like that. So it's like it's like very oh. similar like ideas you hear when someone from I don't know some you could say like the black community or any minority group really when they're like the like the walk away movement for example yeah. um they would just be told that they can't think for themselves because they're they're not like seeing their oppressors clearly so it's the same thing that was seen 
You get what I'm saying? You look at the countries. It's no, the same no, thing I... Yeah. Yeah, same yeah. thing that was seen. That's just one um, parallel. Oh, and then another thing, uh, I don't know if I already said this, but just how far it can go because like it ended up in death camps, like labor camps, and people, I think, basically being treated like slaves, even though for some reason nobody really talks about it like that, but it, it is kind of the same thing uh, that, hmm. that happened. And it's, it's literally from people pro- proclaiming that they want to have like equality <laughs> and like okay. help uh, peasants who weren't being treated well. So like you can have this like super idealistic, we're trying to help you. Um, and then it ends up with people being exploited. Oh, and another one, another parallel is the hypocrisy of it, which is, you know, like all these anti-racists are basically just racist people. And like for the, uh, the communist revolution and the Gulag archipelago, they're saying that they're trying to stop workers being exploited and then they just exploit people's labor. Like <laughs> that's like it just did exactly what they said they were against. Um, so there are a lot, a lot, lots of parallels. It's very, very educational and also important to remember that this is just one example of like, um, like what happens with Marxist thought. And I do see um, Black Lives Matter as kind of like Marxist thought, but with races instead of class class groups. Let's break that down then. What are what are similarities? What, what's being swapped out? If the equation is the same, what is the equation? What's being swapped out? Uh, so for the communist revolution, there are the land and property owners. Those are uh, like the bourgeoisie. And then there's a the proletariat, the, the peasants, the workers. And the Bolshevik Revolution is basically like you are being exploited by this capitalist class and we're going to overthrow it. It has to be a revolution, revolution specifically, <laughs> and um, help you. Um, so there's that. And then there's also the fact that there are there's resentment between these, these two classes. So um, there is a, at the beginning, at least. Oh, I forgot to mention something else. No. <laughs> so there's resentment between the two classes and I would say that the bourgeoisie right now would represent white people, which is it's so horrible, it's a horrible reduction. But it's the same thing actually with what happened with Russia because there's a point where they're talking about how a lot of the people who became um uh the bourgeoisie they came from the working class. And you know, and then it's like they, they they were smart or they work hard, etc. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you see a lot of this, not necessarily just with white, but with this notion of privilege where you have people who they become privileged once they just don't agree. So they might have actually had characteristics of the group that's supposed to be oppressed, but then if they don't agree with the, this notion of, uh, in this case, white people being super bad, then they're just told that they're privileged. And I think that's a, a similar thing. But something, as the thing that I forgot to mention was um, how rigid the, rigid the ideology uh, was. So something that happened with the, the gulags was that there are different levels of communism. So like there were people who were more socialist and then there are people who are like more hardcore communist. And the people who are the most hardcore were actually treated the worst. Um, because they had to, they couldn't think for themselves at all. They had to like be exactly on the party line. And I bring this up as similar to what happens today because a lot of people who are on the left, like if they don't agree with like the, the radical left, 
then they're treated just as badly as like people who are much farther away, like on on the right. And so, like mm-hmm. the purity of the ideology is also something uh, that seems. I hope that kind of helped. Yeah, there, there, uh, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, yeah, there. You you said that. So you, there's the dominant group and then the undominant group or the exploited group. And then another group comes in. The revolutionaries are like another group. And they take the dynamics of the high class, the low class, let's say. And they say, we are going to reverse this, right? Uh, it seems to be the case. We're going to make it equal. Okay, we're going to make it equal. Okay, we're going yeah. to make it equal. That's what they it say, seems right? that they are overlooking the concept of upward mobility it seems like in in a more passive system or more capitalist system as long as you have certain characteristics or act according to the system you can actually move yourself up you don't have to destroy the system you just put in a bunch of work you open up a shop you you know you you do sound business sense right you use the tools of capitalism in order to put yourself where you want it seems like the revolutionaries are are overlooking that there's actually porousness between upper class and lower class, at least within certain versions of America. I right. think it's still possible. I know that you can look at it and say that there's a lot of disparity. I still think we have a lot of upward mobility, and maybe the solution would be to allow more mobility for people to gain wealth and to move up the class. But it seems like the revolutionary thinks of it as a system that is is rigid because they themselves are rigid and they want to smash it to make it equal but that smashing isn't actually a solution it's a destruction it's not it's not constructive they're not giving the pearls the capability to you know raise capital create value they're like no we're going to create the value for you by taking it from somebody else Does right. that, is that kind of yeah, no, that, that, that's a very, I think that's a very apt description of what happens and ties into the whole idea of resentment, um, like to take to take versus to, uh, to build. And uh, I would also say, I, I think people don't understand, like, I think that inequality, that like, big disparity is a result of like more wealth being created. So I'm... Yeah. You know, like people people look at the United States and say, oh, there is so much inequality, but there is like the base is so much higher. And like, I feel like maybe there's a way where I I personally don't want this, but you, there are rich people who don't like having as much as they have. Like, I, I do think that that happens and they want to like give some away. Um, like you want to reduce the inequality, but I don't think that the system that creates the wealth for everyone is gonna work without like that disparity occurring because in order okay. for people to be able to like achieve like they're gonna achieve differently <laughs> they're gonna like be able to have the freedom to do different things and you're you're gonna have more room to like move around yeah. um so i think that it's a part of raising the like the base of uh material wealth for people it's like you're gonna get that level of like inequality i yeah. that's what i i see do you, do you consider yourself? Uh, I, I guess you're an independent businesswoman. Then you're an entrepreneur. But that's uh, fair to I say. don't like that no? term. I, oh, I, really? I think, I think other people would call would probably call <laughs> me that. I just don't feel like I I like make enough to do that. But okay. it's all very relative. You know, like yeah. like compared to some people in the world, I'm doing like absolutely wonderful. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I bring that up myself. because I work for myself. Like I make yeah. money, like you know, for through like things that I do for myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and I, work I with bring that. Companies, uh, but yeah. As a contractor, stuff like that. Yeah, like stuff like that. I mean, like I do JTL well too, but like, I don't focus enough on it. And like my artwork, like I, I get paid for that. Yeah. But I, I think it's you know. So I'm definitely but, used to like myself working for myself. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm asking. That's kind of like yeah. a, I'm trying to contextualize. Maybe you have these values because they work for you, or maybe you want this kind of world because that's the world that you interact with. Maybe you've you have you see a path of success for you down the kind of more liberal uh, free market kind of uh, road, and that's why you would rather not have some sort of centralized authority or a revolutionary mindset uh, to topple Jeff Bezos and give you your mm. 10 years of Amazon Prime for free. Uh, yes and no. So okay. I do agree with what you just said, that I do see like a path of success for myself. However, I've never ever thought that it was okay to like take things from other people oh so like i don't think that has to really do with like where i see my success level going in life like i don't know like my brain like i i think it's wrong to want to like take things from people like i guess if it's ill-gottenly ill-gained like if someone else stole it from someone else it should be returned but i know like i don't think people voluntarily giving their money over to others to buy what they want is a game. And then some people will argue that, well, people are being exploited in the process of someone you know, like running a company. But I also don't see that because I, I see it as a voluntary thing that you would go and um, work with a company. Like, I don't think that jobs, like I know what it's like for jobs to not exist. Like maybe that, that has to do with it too, like where I'm coming from. I, I don't think that people are like all other people jobs if, if that makes sense uh, okay so I are, are you talking in the context of jamaica is that what I, you're talking about I, yeah i guess i yeah i am talking about okay. it in, the, in the context of jamaica so i don't see like job creators as exploiting people which i think that's a very common mindset in the in the united states um but i guess what i'm saying is i like when i first came to the u.s i was doing minimum wage um definitely I would just be considered poor as far as I'm concerned, like in the United States. And I think I've yet, I've never felt like it's like, like I have the right to go and take something from like people who have more money than me. So I, I don't, I don't know exactly where that's from. It might be maybe the Christian thing, but I don't think it necessarily has to do with like what I think I can do for myself. Yeah. I just think it's wrong to do that. Like, okay. I, like yeah. I think it's unethical. That's fine. <laughs> do you, what do you think about taxing though then? Oh, well, I don't like taxes, but I think... <laughs> okay, that... we got that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like taxes, um, but I do think that, like, I think that taxes provide, like, like we live in a society that provides things to us. So I do think that taxes go for, for some good uses. Um, and even if there weren't taxes the way we see them now, if you wanted to live in a civilized society with certain benefits, you would have to be giving some giving something to that um i don't know i don't know if that answers it as well. like i guess i'm saying that i'm libertarian but i'm not like impractical about it <laughs> mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah 
Can we talk a little bit more about resentment? Uh, what do you, where do you think that that comes from in, in the reading that you've been doing? What do you think is the quality of resentment or, or maybe in your life? Like, have you been tempted to have resentment? And how did you figure out that you didn't want to be involved in that? What do you think the psychology of that is? Okay, well, I think I can answer it from, I think the best way to answer it is for like from a personal level, but also um, more like, say, say like with the, the book, like more from my reading, as you see. Um, we can do the personal if you want. Yeah, I think it, it's helpful. I think that if you see someone, like I've been jealous of other people. I wouldn't say I feel resentment per se very often, okay. but I, I could see like leading to resentment if I didn't recognize my feelings of jealousy as like a call for something that I desire and I want. And so I should go and do that. You know, like okay. I should go and like take action to like fulfill my own desires. And so I think maybe resentment is people not believing in themselves or not, not thinking that um, they can do what they see, you know, have other people having. But I also don't think that everyone should want the same thing. <laughs> so why I'm bringing that up is, like, if you want to be really successful, there's a lot you have to sacrifice for that. Like, I might not want that that kind of sacrifice. So, like, I, I also think that sometimes people want things and then they don't want, like, to do what it takes to get there. Um, and, like, don't sometimes also recognize what it takes to get there. Like, they think that it, it didn't require hard work or sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time I think it does, you know, require hard work or, like, even... I think if someone inherits like wealth, for example, like it still takes skill and competence to manage manage stuff. Like it, it, I, I think a lot of times people see people being well off, and I, I, I have to specify materially because like just because people have other things doesn't mean they're happy. Um, and they don't actually understand like what it took to get that. So I, I don't know if that helped, but I, I think yeah. resentment on a personal level comes from not recognizing your own desires and then like believing in yourself to act on it. And I also think it can be difficult to actually recognize your own desires. So what I mean by that is like, I think that you can feel resentment because you're like looking at something that you think is like what you want, but you don't actually know what you want. I, I actually think that's really, really hmm. common. Um, Cause you have to be like kind of in tune with yourself, which I think oh. takes practice. You know, that, that really resonates because I can see how the preconditions of massive resentment are through a certain narrative that you are the poor people, you are the disenfranchised. If you are sold a bill of goods that society is after you, Right. Literally uh -huh. through yeah. violence or economically through the system. If you can be sold that you are just a cog in the machine that 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 precipitates resentment on a massive scale. That's where you you could have a revolution. If you convince enough people that they are powerless, then they'll right. do anything to get that power instead of, well, they will take the shortcut to power, which is, I guess, just a redistribution, just like you're going to go there, you're going to take all the wealth, you're going to chop off uh, Jeff Bezos's head. Again, it's Bezos because uh, he pops up over and over again. But um, they, if they can rob you of your agency, if they can rob you of your sense of wealth, then they don't need to teach you the values to create wealth. 
they can they they just put you in the position to take wealth right it, it again that that kind of precipitates the the revolutionary uh, behavior that i'm seeing in the streets right now in america where people are walking down just acting like they don't care about anybody they're they're acting in the name of caring but but they're trampling over common decency they're trampling over civility they're trampling over property because they have a higher goal but they're not actually pursuing that higher goal they're actually pushing everybody into an impossible situation of defending yourself from being the bad guy or actually follow them along and no longer have your own agency it seems like that uh, is the case with the with, with like kind of like the the just the the philosophy involved in the communist revolution and in certain strains of what we're seeing right now there's a loss of personal agency and with that loss comes the loss of personal responsibility all the way down into how you treat your your fellow man let alone how you build a good life for yourself yeah, I, I I think that's really interesting um, because um, I definitely think that these people who are not treating other people well in their revolutionary acts <laughs> see other people as tools in their march to fix things. You know, like they're they're seen as like almost disposable because the idea is worth it. Um, so they can like disrespect them, like their property rights. Um, I consider bodily injury like a violation of pro- property rights, but okay. also like the people's stores, for example, um, like looting them or burning them. Um, <laughs> and if I tie that back into what you just said about people feeling like they don't have agency over themselves because the system is out to get them, then I think once you believe in like, the system having the ultimate power and like the person not having power, then I, I kind of think that maybe ties into um, seeing a, uh, a person who you're going to violate their property rights as like not being important because the system, which is now your, your ideology is more important than them. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, on this level of the conversation, it seems like it's entering into some sort of theology or some sort of religious conception of what it is to be like the fundamental questions. What is a human being? What is a society? You know, and then how do you create a good life? Like just that those three uh, matrix of values. Like if you really want to get critical about that, it seems like this ideology, both in communism and certain strains of what's happening now in the streets and, uh, you know, wokeness in general has a conception of of the world that doesn't have human beings in it or it's missing like it's missing a soul i i want to say like just the concept of the soul like whether or not you believe in it it doesn't even have a conception of human being as valuable uh, is intrinsically valuable the only value is in the system or the idea or the ideology um yeah i think that the, the individual doesn't matter and like i think you can tie that back into the the purity of the the ideology because like individuals individuate so they like kind of break away from um like what's like you know like yeah you can have like a cluster but if you have the like if you have a (laughs) if you have a line that's like the party line like say like communist party line or like the the black lives matter ideology like an individual can say, okay, I kind of agree with that, but like this doesn't really line up for me. So like I'm gonna like my point, my data point is gonna like move a little bit, and another person's gonna be, and like that can't happen, 
with uh, like ideologies like a uh, these totalitarian ideologies. Right. So. Right. Okay. Um. So why not? I why do you think it's that it's connected to that? Uh, why not? Why is it? Why, how does it get stuck in that purity spiral? Well, maybe that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the rigidity and like uh, being perfect. Maybe. Because hmm. um, that self-worth is only found in your belief system. It, it's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, um, I see this like a puzzle yeah, piece it, to put together. And uh, this idea of like the, the basic questions of life about <laughs> and stuff. Uh, I, I do agree with the idea that these totalitarian systems kind of, well, they, first of all, they can't really exist alongside uh, religion. A, a separate religion and like of course i do think any ideology so also religion can become totalitarian um but for example uh, i i think that nowadays because a lot of people are not religious they kind of have these ideologies like say black lives matter fill that space for them of like what's the meaning in their life uh how they're gonna make the world better I think you could argue that um, wanting to be good, um, I, I don't know if better is the right word, but um, an established outlet for that was religion. And now it's like being filled by these totalitarian ideologies. And I also want to point out that in terms of the communism in Russia, um, one of the first things they did was try to get religion to, to be an arm of the state. Cause like, like, it was almost mm. like a countermeasure to these, to the Bolshevik revolution, the communist revolution in Russia. Um, so, um, I think that, yeah, people hmm. need some kind of moral, mythical, yeah, yeah spiritual, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a hole there <laughs> yeah. and things like Black Lives Matter fill it and here's a question almost, yeah. I was going to say I would almost think that wanting to campaign for or help people in need for example people who are being unfairly treated by the police would be something one should worry about as a moral person. However, for it to overtake your life and like for that to be like, I'm going to excommunicate my friend because they don't agree with this idea I have on how to, how to view some event that happened or how to go about fixing it. Hmm. That's something else. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And like I said, like something so all encompassing, yeah. Um, yeah, that's like, that's spiritual. Yeah. I do, I do think that it, it would be proper to bring up, uh, or to paraphrase, uh, Jesus, who's the, the guy in the Christian story that Jesus, when he, when he talked about loving, loving one another as yourself, if, if you're, I think one way of guiding yourself on if you're correct or not in your belief system is like actually looking at the facts and checking out the data. But when you put that into action, 
always gauge how am I treating other people? How do am I loving them? Are they loving me back in turn? Am I causing them to love me? Am I increasing the amount of love in the world uh, yeah. on, on every <laughs> every level, level? As long as you're keeping close to uh, some form of truth and some form of I guess that love, I guess I think is the, the proper term talking about just like treating people morally then you can start to gauge if you're on the right path or not once you start deviating from either of those things i think you end up once a bunch of people start deviating from it you probably end up with a totalitarian or at least a nightmare or tyranny of some sort because it loses grounding in in the person and in in the world yeah, I completely agree with that. I I definitely like I kind of live by that philosophy, but um, um, I was gonna say something. I don't remember. I I, I definitely want to point out that I completely agree with with that. And then I was trying to going to try and relate it to a practical example. Um, I don't know, like if there's one way to solve issues. But I, I think that, like, the way people go about it, you know, like, is it loving or is it not, um, makes a difference. So, for example, if I think about people wanting to defund the police because the police are, like, not a part of the community, I think that's not, it doesn't sound, like, totally unmeritous, you know, not, not completely without merit, but if you go and talk to those people, actually, and they're like, no, we want... So I just think that that's, that's one example. I also think... Uh, could you, could could you be... repeat that? We, we broke up for a second. Uh, so if, if, you, if you say you want to defund the police, then how do you check if that's the p- correct course of action? Well, you go and talk to the people and ask them how they feel <laughs> about it, actually. Not just like from your like abstract ideology about what the power system is and what the power struggle is like you go to the actual people involved and ask them how they feel and if in the communities yeah this would actually help us then maybe you're on the right path but people don't do that they're like we're gonna i mean like there are people yelling at people um like a classic example is people yelling um at say black people because they don't agree they're like i'm going to tell you how you should feel that is absolutely not loving like you can't do that you can't like claim to want to be like caring for someone and then mm. like tell them like what they should feel or what they want you know like yeah. that's that's you being domineering like that's not and yeah. like and why I'm, what i'm trying to say is though, is say though is that maybe that could actually work like maybe the things the ideas that you have might be applicable maybe even to some some of some people in that group but if you then push it on people when they don't want it it's wrong i think or not loving Mm. as you put it yeah yeah you brought up this is this is the quandary that i see people in kind of loosely in your position who are post-religious um but then recognizing the world in a post-religious world they're like well okay maybe 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 some people need religion. Like, how do you how do you start to grapple with that? It's like, okay, well, I want what what are the values from your religious upbringing that you would pass on to the next generation, and how how would you package those? Um, do you That's think a that, really tough question? <laughs> I know, I know. It's so it's not fair. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
But I run into this a lot with uh, people kind of in your position, you know, post-religious, but seeing that they don't want to be in a post-religious world. Well, I think if we were in a post-religious world, like religion might be the issue. <laughs> like that might become the issue. Like I, I people okay. being not good to each other or being totalitarian or whatever, it seems to come out in some way or form, you know, no matter what the system is. Okay, I, I really don't know if I have an answer for like how I would package like my guiding principles for yeah. <clears throat> at least in totality for the next generation. However, um, I do think some things are important. So I could say what I think they are. Um, I think it's really important to be good to oneself, first and foremost, because I think if you figure out how to relate well to yourself and be kind to yourself and loving to yourself, actually, not superficially, then I, I think that like improves um, how you interact with the rest of the world. I would probably say that the, I think that's the most important thing is like developing love for oneself, which is not narcissism, yeah, that's the question. How do you know that you're being good to yourself and not just uh, basking in pleasures or giving yourself the excuse to be an asshole? You know, how, well, what what are some of the feedbacks that you can get that that like, help you understand? Yeah, pleasure isn't the same thing as love. Like pleasure is like the 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 best thing to do to do for yourself might be to de to deny yourself of something that's harm harming you. So I, I definitely think like pleasure and love uh, or loving oneself aren't the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, I well, hmm. Yeah, I was, I was, I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I was gonna say like you, you know, like you know what's right, like you feel it, but that's like that sounds yeah. so baseless. But when I think about like me, like I know, and it's not, it's not just feeling, um, and it all it includes hair, but it's not just logic. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's some sort of intuition space where I can't really, really describe it. Yeah, so, yeah. And I know a lot of people yeah. just like throw that out the window, but, um, I'm, I can try to make it more practical. Um, so I think that, you know, how they say, like you develop the relationship with yourself first, um, uh, because like, say if you, wanted to be in a relationship then you like develop a relationship with yourself first because then that affects how you're going to relate to another person so i think if you want to figure out how to be more like loving in the world like you develop that with yourself first um because then you can figure out how to relate uh, to other people who are like super flawed and will like do bad things um and you do too maybe like not egregious things but yeah. Um, I think like developing that dialogue inwardly like affects like your dialogue dialogue outwardly. Well, cool. Um, do you want to say goodbye to the audience? Yes. Um, 
Hi, thank you for watching. Um, and you can find me at youtube.com slash just thinking out loud. Just type in just thinking out loud in the YouTube search bar. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Desiree Thinking. Um, I don't know if I can plug a donation request here. Yeah, stuff. sure, totally. You can also yeah. uh, donate uh, to what I'm doing at Just Thinking Out Loud at TV slash donate. I'd really appreciate that. And thanks for you know watching and listening. I think we we talked about some really complex, uh, yeah, deep stuff. Looking we forward did. to seeing I... what what people have to say for sure. Yeah. I think they're going to jive with you, but you never know. They'll be the random jerk. <laughs> As yeah. you all know. <laughs> yes, I know that. I'm going to end the recording now. What are you up to? Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.